The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. To Luke 1, we're now in the fifth week in our sermon series, The Gospel According to Luke. Uh, as you go back to Luke chapter 1 now, uh, we, we're going to catch up with the context of the story. You can find us now on page 856. If you need a Bible, do grab one from the pew rack uh, in front of you. But we're turning together to Luke chapter 1. Last time... We were with this couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth. Zachariah, the priest, had literally been struck dumb. He had lost his ability to speak. He was mute because he struggled to get his head and heart around the promise of the angel Gabriel that he and his wife, Elizabeth, were going to be parents at an advanced age. They were old, in other words. And when he could not express faith, when Zachariah did not believe the angel's words from God of the promise of a son, Zechariah was struck mute. The angel said, Zechariah, you're not going to be able to speak now until the baby that I've promised is born and until God's word is born in you by way of faith. And so it's been a long nine months for Zechariah who's not been able to speak at all. But apparently we learn now that Zechariah has been communicating by way of a writing tablet because that tablet is going to show up in our passage today. We're, we're going to find out that Zechariah would have gone home and shared with Elizabeth this news via writing tablet through the vehicle of that tablet about his encounter with the angel Gabriel because uh, Elizabeth now knows what the angel has said and what name was to be given to the child. If you look back in Luke chapter 1, uh, Luke 1 at verse 13, at the end of it was this particular command that this child shall be named John. Now we know him as John the Baptist, but he is here, Zachariah and Elizabeth's son, to be named John. And Zachariah, in this time of silence, has been in a season of repentance, reflection, his own repentance, to consider that the word of the Lord is to be received with faith. The Word of God is to be received with trust and obedience. And he's been given this time now uh, as uh, Elizabeth is pregnant and delivers this child to consider whether he really believes the Word of God. And we're going to find now that Zechariah is going to pass this test with flying colors. And unlike the first time we see him, we're going to see now a work of grace has been done in Zechariah's heart so that at the moment of truth, there is not the slightest hesitation on Zechariah's behalf to say God's Word is true and I believe it to express His trust in the Lord. And in this, uh, there's a lot that we're going to be able to draw from this deep well. So let's pray together and ask God's blessing upon the Scriptures as we hear it together in faith. O oh, great God, we bow now with the Scriptures open before us, asking that You would, by Your Holy Spirit, move upon our hearts, move upon our minds to bring illumination and faith by way of obedience to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who's promised to us through the birth of this son John to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus. Father, our hearts too need to be prepared for Christ. Perhaps to receive Him for the first time. Perhaps to grow in obedience to Him, but prepared nonetheless. So send forth Your Spirit in the reading and preaching of Your Word that we might receive this with faith, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the Word of God, Luke 1 at verse 57, under the heading, The Birth of John the Baptist. This is the Word of God. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. 
And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who had heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. So do keep your Bibles open as he writes eternal truth upon our hearts today. So what is, what is Luke doing in his gospel narrative? He's still introducing us really to this unfolding history. What Luke is doing is that he has investigated in great detail eyewitness account and testimony the first-hand reports of these unfolding events that lead up to the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. And Luke is bringing us into the story. And one of the remarkable things about what Luke is able to do, because he has so carefully researched the narrative, is that he's able to give us these wonderful details. And as he's giving us the details, he's telling the good story and really bringing us into the narrative and pulling us into the story. And as he does that, He is asking every single one of us to make a point of decision and make up our minds about what he is saying. So, as you hear these people and their stories, they are having to make up their own minds. Likewise, Luke is saying, what about you? How will you receive this news of the announcement of a child to be born who will prepare the way for another one who will prepare the hearts of the people of God to turn back to God. Will you believe the Word of God, in other words? Will you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Will you believe that God Himself has intervened in history to redeem humanity and their fallen race to bring about this remarkable salvation? Will you believe God's Word? You're not just a bystander to this story. Uh, We are very much a part of it. So we must come to similar Uh, points of decisions. What do we believe about God's truth, either with faith to receive it or unbelief to reject it? And we must receive it by faith. And this is another one of these compelling stories that we come into contact in these early verses of Luke. This is what's happening here. Uh, uh, We're brought back to the attention of Zachariah and Elizabeth. Elizabeth has already given birth and all the relatives have come. All of them. Can you imagine that? All the relatives in one place gathered together to share in the rejoicing. And this is the context of the Old Covenant rite of circumcision to be administered on the eighth day in accord with the law of Moses. And it was not required in uh, Jewish law to name the child at the rite of circumcision administered, but it had become the custom that the child was not given a name until the eighth day when the covenant was administered in that visible sign of circumcision. Uh, And maybe you know of families who don't announce the name of their children ahead of time. Or even once they're born, they don't tell you what they've chosen for the name of the child. Perhaps days, maybe even weeks go by. Now, legally, they have to give a name in the hospital, but maybe they don't share it for a long amount of time. The closest parallel that we could find here, and we don't tend to operate on these timetables, but imagine that a child is born to this congregation and the name has not been announced 
uh, until the day of their baptism, their covenant baptism. And at that moment, the name of the child is announced to the faith community. That would be the closest parallel here. And now the name is announced amidst the gathering of family and friends. This is the setup. So Luke brings you into this narrative, which is actually uh, full of a bit of a tension here, because in verse 59 it says, On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, but his mother spoke up and said, No! You don't get to name my kid. Right? In other words, his name is to be called John. So, if you know anything of family tensions in any way, you should read all of those tensions into this narrative, right? Because the immediate response is, Elizabeth, nobody in your family is named John. You don't have a brother John. You don't have a cousin John. You don't have a third uncle removed John. You don't have a Billy Joe John in your family. There are no Johns in your family. You can go back 20 generations, Elizabeth. John's not a family name. Your husband, husband's father isn't named John. Your husband's not named John. There are no Johns in this family. Now, you sometimes hear that the reason why some parents don't reveal a child's name before they're born is because they're trying to keep it a secret. You know, maybe it's a surprise. Maybe it's in honor of somebody else, or perhaps. Or maybe they're just doing it because they don't want to hear your opinion about what they chose for their kids' names. Right? Whether, you know, see their faces going, are you sure you want to call them that? How do you spell that type of thing? People get their responses or this kind of side glance of the smiling aunt at the baby shower going, who ever heard of a name like that? John, right? That's, that's what's happening here. And now you have to love this because they turn to Zechariah then. <laughs> And it says that they, the text says, they made signs to his father. Mind you, Zechariah is not deaf. He just can't speak because he's been struck mute. He can hear this whole thing, right? But you can imagine they're kind of making signs at him. They're essentially asking, look, Zechariah, obviously pregnancy has been bad enough on your elderly wife, Elizabeth, but delivery must have been especially hard on your dear wife. And all the sleeplessness with the newborn, she's confused. She thinks that you're not going to name him Zachariah Jr. Zachariah, would you please correct your wife? You're obviously not going to call him that. That's what's happening. And this is what Luke is helping us to see. Everyone's all worked up about the name of the child. So we could ask, along with William Shakespeare's famous character, Juliet, when she says, what's in a name? Right? In that context, what does it matter what Romeo's last name is? Because a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Juliet says names don't matter. But if Elizabeth's relatives were questioning her mental competency, we should definitely question the decision-making of a love-struck Elizabethan teenager. Juliet, names do matter. What's in a name? No, names matter. Because in the Bible, names are often used to describe people's personality. Jesus calls Simon Peter, Petros, rock, or, 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 or stone. Sometimes in the Bible, when a person's life is radically transformed, they are renamed. So Abram is called Abraham, and Jacob is called Israel, and Saul is known as Paul. 
There is an authoritative significance to the giving of names, like Adam did in the garden where he gave names to all the animals, as he exercised dominion over creation as the vice region of the Creator God to give names and thereby exercise dominion. In the same way, in the Old Testament, just like today, the, the very solemn act of naming a child was a demonstration of parental rights. However, in a few isolated in- incidents, God reserves the right for Himself. Where instead of the parents naming the child, God says, their name shall be, in this instance, John. Also famously, Jesus. The angels communicate the Word of God to say to the parents, you don't have to stress about what this kid is going to be called. As many parents do try to figure out what name sounds good and which combination, middle name or no middle name, does it sound good together? What will the initials be? What will the monogram look like? Will the name sound good? Whatever. No, God just says their name shall be. And in this instance, that's exactly what's happened. And when that happens, God is saying, I will name the child because this child is under my authority and related to me in an extraordinary way for the purposes of unveiling redemptive history to mankind through the ministry of this child. So when Gabriel announced to Elizabeth and Zechariah that they were going to have a baby and what the name was the baby to be, he was giving them a message that they understood. He was saying, this child belongs to the Lord. This child will be given a name from God Himself And God has decreed that his name will be John. Not Zechariah. Now as you look back to the original narrative, Zechariah had already been punished for his lack of faith. And now God puts him to the test again. Everybody in the family expects him to be called Zechariah Jr. Elizabeth refuses, so they go to the father. And to their astonishment when Zechariah himself writes an agreement on the tablet, his name is John. After nine months of contemplative response of obedience to the Word of God, Zechariah's mouth is going to be loosed in praise, and Lord willing, we'll see that in two weeks. But what's happening here is that after that time of really divine discipline was over, Zechariah could now speak again because he has shown himself an obedient servant of the Lord in relinquishing his right to name his son. To say, yes, Lord, I will take from your divine word the name of my son. Not just the wonder of the birth of this child, but to embrace all that this child represents. If you look back in Luke chapter 1, where it says in verse 17 that he will go before him, that's speaking about this child going before the Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah is embracing God's word and will for his son. As he agrees with his name, so he agrees with the calling associated with his name. Zechariah has gone from doubting to faith to the obedience of faith as he submits to the Lord's calling and embraces the promises of God for his child. So in this, there's lots that we should and could take away, but I want to emphasize two things for us, hopefully very clear. And the first is that although 
This is speaking about the old covenant sacrament of Jewish circumcision, where Jewish parents are presenting their son. There is, I would encourage you to see, nothing substantially different from the new covenant administration of the sacrament of baptism. Because old covenant circumcision is related as the covenant sign to new covenant baptism. Where in the new covenant baptism, Christian parents presenting their children to receive the sign of the same covenant promise. Zachariah and Elizabeth bring their child to receive the sign. And that's exactly what happens up here. Christian parents bringing their children in the obedience of faith to receive the sign of the covenant in accord with God's command of the same covenant promise. And when that happens, when that happens, when a child is brought forth, the parents are asked, what is the name of this child? And the parents state the child's given name. Right? The name that the parents have given the child. And then water is applied to the name of the triune God to say, your parents have given you the name John. But now you are John, the child of God, sealed in the promises of this sacrament and the waters of baptism to be the child of God. God claims you, John. God claims you. And the parents affirm that this child is the Lord's child. And the distinction... Friends, listen to this very clearly. The distinction of Christian parenting begins with the obedience of Elizabeth and Zechariah to say, we will raise this child as God's child in obedience to the Lord because this is the Lord's child that He has given to us, but that we by faith are called to nurture in the promises of the covenant. And do you see the beautiful affirmation at the end of verse 66 there that this child is a spectacle to friends and family. They wondered what the Lord was in store for him because it says the hand of the Lord was with him. Now listen, let me be clear. In one sense, this is utterly unique because this is John the Baptist. There aren't other John the Baptists. So in the narrative of the unfolding redemption of God's salvation, this is unique to be sure But in another sense, what is true about John is true of all covenant children that the hand of the Lord is upon them. The hand of the Lord is upon our children and our grandchildren. Church, nurturing the Christian faith in the lives of our young ones matters. It matters deeply. Parents, grandparents, this matters, but also to the whole church, of course. These covenant children are our children together as the people of God. So that means that if you yourself are not currently occupied in the often exhausting work of keeping your young one fed, occupied, and settled in the pew, while you attempt to keep your sanity, right? if that's not presently your work, then your work is to cheer them on as they do it. 
and to say, God, be with you, and we want you here, and we're not distracted by you, and we want you here because you are our church. If you are not presently engaged in that often exhausting work, then it is your role to cheer them on as they do it. And when a church does that in a beautiful way, it looks beautifully different and wonderfully attractive, doesn't it? To say that this is a multi-generational church on purpose, affirming the promises of God for our children that belong to them. But also secondly then, and more specifically, as John is born, and he is named John, John, who we call again John the Baptist, represents the covenantal transition from Old Covenant to New Covenant. He represents the, the move, if you like, from Old Testament to New Testament and a time of preparation for the coming Messiah. John was born to prepare the hearts of the people of God to receive the Messiah as He called for them to repent of their sins and turn from their disobedience to faith in the Messiah. John was born, lived, and ministered in his time and then died for the purposes of preparing the hearts of the people of God to receive Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who Himself lived and died and rose and ascended so that everyone could know the hope of the Gospel. So as we prepare our hearts to come to this table, let us hear again the message that John was born to declare to turn from your sins and lay your hope upon Jesus Christ as He has offered to you in the Gospel. Let us do that by faith. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise You for Your Word and the promises associated with the birth of John, the obedience of Zachariah and Elizabeth. Lord, let us too be obedient of heart to believe Your Word and so receive Your Messiah the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.